0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord for us. Have you ever looked at anyone and thought, "Man, I want to be like that." I want to be like her. I want to be like him. Sure you have. <laughs> we do this all the time. We we look at the people around us and we are inspired by their choices. It's like I want to have that kind of fitness or I want to have that hairstyle or I want to wear those types of clothing. We're we're inspired. And this is this can be a very good thing. You know, all of a sudden you've got cooler eyeglasses or you're training for a 5K. And maybe and hopefully I should say you have people that you look up to spiritually that that as you look around, you see people that you you wish you could pray like them or you wish you could share Christ with the the ease uh, that they do. You wish you could have faith like they do. And so I think at the start of a new year, it's a great time for us to consider the changes, the improvements, the, the ways that we see other people operating in faith that we ourselves are inspired to be like. Wouldn't it be great to know the Bible better? Wouldn't it be great to become more of a prayer warrior or lead a person to Jesus this year? And I think for the culture in which we find ourselves, it's all about instant growth, instant gratification. I want it my way. I want it right away. We forget sometimes that the godly life is, <laughs> it's a person who has gone through ups and downs, struggles, a, a series, uh, a lifelong series of both successes and failures. So, spiritual development, spiritual growth happens when we learn to practice spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Another way of of saying that is simply habits that help us to grow spiritually. Like if we want to grow in Christ, and I hope each and every one of us wants to grow in Christ this year, if we want to grow in Christ, then we need to to develop some of these healthy spiritual habits. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning and over the next several weeks. Let me introduce myself. My name is John. I'm thrilled that you are with us today. We've got a full house. Uh, What a joy it is to be together. And as always, I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. Well, we're in a new year, aren't we? 2023. For this month of January, we are doing a sermon series that we're calling Maybe This Year. Maybe this year, and so we're going to be challenged to start off the new year learning, as I said, habits aimed at growing in Christ. So the Bible is really full of metaphors for helping us understand the importance of spiritual growth. One of the passages where we're going to be this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's where Lakota read for us just a few minutes ago, and it talks about the importance of discipline. It's not really a word that most of us like or enjoy. The idea of discipline. The illustration, of course, of of athletic contests. And and this would have been very familiar to the congregation, to the people who lived in that area in Corinth. Uh, The Greeks had two great athletic events. One was the Olympic Games, and another that was similar called the Isthmian Games. And those were actually held in the city of Corinth every two years. Uh, What I learned in studying about these was a participant who was going to compete in these games, would actually arrive up to a year before they actually competed. They would arrive typically 10 to 12 months before they were to engage in their competition. Why? To train. Like, like with this singular, laser-like focus. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to train because when the race begins, when my event is on, I want to be at my absolute best. So the audience who heard this encouragement to spiritually train, kind of this is kind of the backdrop for them is they're the setting for these great uh, feats of strength and physical prowess as well. And as we talked about last week, so whether you're the kind of person who makes a New Year's resolution or not, uh, in fact, I would venture to guess that at some point all of us probably have made a New Year's resolution, but whether you do that or not, we're, none of us are uh, unfamiliar with the idea of setting a goal and failing, <laughs> Might I even say miserably failing? Like, I really want to do this. I, re- I really want to accomplish this. I want this to happen. And falling short, falling wildly and greatly short. And so we know as we think about the New Year's resolutions that are common, that are popular, uh, right at the top of the list is physical fitness. It's getting healthy, getting getting fit. Well, that takes hard work. That takes a lot of discipline. And so I guess... What, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is, in this series, over these next several weeks, we're going to talk about getting fit, but not physically, but spiritually. <laughs> getting fit uh, spiritually. In fact, we initially were going to call this sermon series Getting Fit. Um, but there are two truths that I want to keep in balance. Right, right here uh, at the onset of this morning, as we talk about discipline and spiritual growth. You know, we want to grow spiritually. There are two truths we need to keep in balance. And the first is that God is committed to our growth. First uh, corinthians 3 6 paul talks about how I planted the seed apollos watered it, but god made it grow And so spiritual growth is indeed a work of the lord God is the one who makes people grow the second truth that we need to keep in balance is that We've got to take personal responsibility (laughs) for how we are positioned for spiritual growth, right? So if we go to 2 Peter 3.18, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's sort of a New Testament command that says, you're supposed to grow spiritually. You're supposed to be giving time and energy and effort. So we position ourselves for growth. And then God is the one who actually does the spiritual work within us. So um, I think God has designed us in a way so that we are to to work in partnership with him. We are to work in partnership, communing with God as he does this spiritual work in our lives. I think we do see this really clearly in Philippians chapter 2, where um, in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think we could kind of categorize that as our part. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, like there's, there's there's something on our part that says, I want to be positioned for God to move in my life, to work in my heart. And then he goes on saying, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's God's part. That's us saying, ultimately, I can do nothing to cause spiritual growth in my own life. I can simply position myself, avail myself, surrender my life so that God can work in and through me. So as we begin talking about spiritual disciplines today, I want us to keep those two things in balance. That this is not entirely your goal, you set it, you achieve it. No, that's not how it works. At the same time, it's not do whatever you want. And if God's going to grow you, he's going to do that. It's, it's position yourself. We have a part and God is the one who does the work. And so this morning, we're going to talk about spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines. In fact, uh, let me just give you a heads up over where we're going to go over these next four weeks, over the, over the rest of this month. We're going to talk about four habits or, or core values that are all aimed at spiritual growth. I, I think these are all vital for MCA. For, for each of us personally, but for our church family corporately as well. So this morning we're talking about discipline. We will also then talk about worship, study of the scripture, and prayer. <laughs> so that's where we're heading over the, the next weeks in the, uh, in the remainder of this month. So again, this morning we're going to talk about the importance of discipline some of us don't like that word. And even uh, not just like, oh, because I want to be lazy. Because... No, but some of us, we don't like that word discipline because it sounds sort of harsh. Discipline. We think of like uh, corporal punishment. We think of stuff, something that's really cruel and harsh and cold. Something that's unloving. But I want us to think about it this way this morning. That it takes discipline to be a disciple. They come from the same root word. And so we want to be a follower of Jesus, we want to be a disciple of Jesus. It takes discipline to be a disciple, because spiritual growth is intentional. It's not just automatic. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. If you have your Bible with you, open it up to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to walk through these verses together. And what I want to share is four keys for being disciplined spiritually that Paul shares here to the church in Corinth. Four keys for... Spiritual discipline. The first is to pursue the goal. It's wisely been said that if you have no target, you will miss every time. There's no target you're going to miss every time. Like, if there's no destination, you will endlessly wander. When you don't know what the destination is, you'll never arrive. You will wander endlessly. Like, you might be moving, but you don't know if you're closer if you're further away, you know, remember playing hot hot and cold when you were a kid? You, and you were, trying to, and you, you were dependent on the other people to tell you, or colder? If there's no destination, you have no idea if you're hot or if you're cold. You have no idea if you're closer to where you want to be or if you've drifted further. It reminds me of the airline pilot. Uh, he came on the intercom. He said to his passengers, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? So from perks up, of course. He says, our guidance system has broken. <laughs> I have no clue where we're at right now. But I do have good news, he says. Wherever it is we're going, we're making very good time. It's like, when you don't know the destination, you're going to be endlessly wandering. And so as we talk about spiritual disciplines, the first key is to pursue the goal, the right goal. So let's look there, verse 24. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know? That in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. When an Olympian competes, they know exactly how far they need to run. Again, for, for these, these ancient uh, athletes, they knew what their event was, and they trained specifically for it. It wasn't, I'll just run and you tell me when to stop, right? Is it a 400? Then the finish line is after one lap. They train specifically for their event. And they know what their goal is. And so it's the same for us in our spiritual lives. Um, if you want your children to know Jesus. And we, we're a, a church that has a lot of young people. A lot of children, youth. God has blessed us with with the next generation. We want our kids to know Jesus. So if we want our children to be saved, born again, understand the truth of the gospel, and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we share the gospel with them. We, We know what the goal is, and so we take specific, decisive, intentional actions toward it. That's what I'm getting at here, is that in our spiritual lives, I'm not just suggesting some vague idea of, oh, I probably should be a little more disciplined. I'm saying that the athlete is able to say, this is the distance, and so these are the things I'm going to train for. So as parents, we say, I want my my children to come to know Jesus, so what what am I going to do? I'm going to read the Bible to them in my home. And I'm going to pray with them. We're going to have a family lifestyle that involves habits of prayer. We're going to raise them in a Bible believing church. You take specific steps toward your goal, you pursue it. Or maybe it's in your own life. So so the goal is I want to be loyal to Christ. Like we live in a culture where there are endless idols and things vying for my heart and my affection and my attention and yes, even my worship. And I want to be loyal to Christ. And so what I need to do is I need to clarify what are my standards. I'm going to decide on these are my priorities and with God's help, I'm going to stick to them. Or maybe one of the goals or one of the things that's important to you is that people go to heaven where we, th- we we think about uh, humanity created in God's image, and yet marred by the effects of sin and, and mired in in the wrong choices we make and the things that have separated us and and the unbelieving world from Christ and His redemptive love, and so maybe a goal is I want people to go to heaven. Then you train to share the gospel. Th- then then you. You learn, you study, you practice, you prepare for when God opens the door and gives me an opportunity, I can share the life-giving power of Jesus. See what I'm getting at here? When I talk about discipline, I'm not talking about some vague idea of, yep, I should really be more disciplined. I'm saying, if God says to you, I want you to share about me to the unbelieving world, because apart from me, their eternal destiny is in the flames of hell. And that... sort of weighs on your heart and and is a burden on you, where you say, I really want people to go to heaven, then you understand the truth of the gospel, and you train in how you're going to share it. It's what we call evangelism. You train, and then you position yourself for the opportunity. When God opens the door, you go for it. Author Max Anders once said, only the disciplined ever get really good at anything. Only the disciplined ever get really good at anything. It seems as though discipline is what we need the most in our modern world and what we want the least. And so again, I think this morning is a great opportunity, not just for me to preach at you, but for me to ask a question of you, and that is, what is it that God's calling you to do in this season and in this new year? And I'm, I'm not against resolutions. I'm fine with you saying I want to d- d- uh, accomplish this this year, set some goals this year. I'm also encouraging us to prayerfully go to the Lord and say, God, what do you have for me in 2023? What is it that God is calling you to do? What are those spiritual goals that the Lord is setting before you? And then, of course, what steps do you need to take in order to get there? What steps, what tangible, actionable steps will the Lord lead you to take? It takes discipline to be a disciple. Spiritual growth isn't automatic. It's intentional. And so we pursue the goal. Second key for learning spiritual discipline is to pay the price. (laughs) Uh, There's cost associated with growth. This is really kind of across the board. If you want big muscles, you've got to pay for the gym membership or pay for the weights in your basement or in your garage. If you want to get that big buck, you've got to buy the right gear. You've got to buy the right equipment and all the camouflage and the weaponry. Or you just drive a big passenger van like I do. I mean, there are options there. <laughs> but there's cost associated with achieving your goals and reaching the growth that you want. Gains come at a cost. And so we see this in verse 25. So again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Again, he's drawing this beautiful parallel and illustration. He's saying, you know about the games that take place. You know the great sacrifice that these athletes make. They take a year of their time and train diligently for their event. And then they're going to get a little wreath of crowns if they win. They get a little wreath of crowns and he's saying it's the same way we go into strict training. We're willing to pay the price But ours is for a crown that's going to last forever. Ours is not something just uh, Temporal and earthly. It's going to fade away. Ours is something that's going to endure and last forever if we do a close look here in a, a word study in verse 25, he talks about those competing in the games. This is this uh, word that we have in English as competes, it's the Greek word agonizomai. It's where we get our English word agony. Agony. Like, it, it carries with it the idea of struggling. Com- I mean, competing is a good, is a good translation, but, but, but the ideas behind it are like this uh, grueling cost of trying to achieve something. You know, you're pitted against... Challenges, this is something hard, and you are going to press on and persevere through the agony. It's, you know, the old adage no pain, no gain. Jesus calls us to a life of total commitment. As we talk about paying the price, it's like Jesus calls us to sacrifice everything for Him and for His kingdom. Like the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we were in this on Wednesday night in uh, Mark George's Bible study. Where this this guy comes up to Jesus and he wants to know, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and then give it to the poor. And then he says, then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And it says that at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to pay the price. He wanted to hold on to, he wanted to clutch the things of the world, the treasures and the accolades and perhaps the clout, the position that he had. He wasn't willing to let that go for the sake of Christ. In fact, I heard about a conversation that took place between two believers. One was uh, more of the kind of stalled out, not really going anywhere uh, Christian who said to a mature believer, I would give my life to know the Bible like you do. And the seasoned saint responded with, well, that's what it took. That's what it took. You don't go halfway into the kingdom of God. You don't say to Jesus, I'll follow you to a certain point. He said to this young guy, Mark chapter 10, like, yeah, I want you to come and follow me. There's one thing that's holding you back, though. You got to let go of the things that the earth is calling you to. Those idols that are pulling at your heart. We've got to be willing to pay the price. But here's the thing about paying the price. You know, it sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Here's here's the wonderful, amazing, awesome part. Jesus is worth it. You go, pay the price. Hmm. Do I need to calculate that? Yeah, for a millisecond. Jesus is worth it. Like, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your very soul? John Wesley was an 18th century preacher. He's the guy who founded Methodism. His movement, uh, if, if you don't know, the, the Methodists, they gained that name because of their method of spiritual disciplines. They were, they were very disciplined. They were very methodic. Um, he was in England, but he came to the U.S. because he wanted to spread the gospel to the people here. And he wanted to plant churches. I read that John Wesley traveled an average of 20 miles a day for 40 years. He got up at 4 a.m. In his ministry, preached over 40,000 sermons, wrote over 400 books. He's a guy who knew 10 languages. At the age of 83... John Wesley said he was annoyed because he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. (laughs) At age 86, he was ashamed that he couldn't preach more than twice a day. We have this in his journals. He complained in these later years, so he's like upper 80s. He complained that there was an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 a.m. (laughs) <laughs> he was a man of discipline. God used him to do significant things. And I, I mention him simply to say, when we pay the price here on earth, we're making an investment for eternity. So again, Paul uses this analogy, the crown, the reward. The reward for Spiritual discipline and training, Paul says, is eternal. It's never-ending. It's of true worth and value and significance. Are we willing to make sacrifices, to pay the price, to go into strict training so that we can become the person God wants us to be? Do we have that prize, that goal in mind? And then are we willing to pursue it? Or are we going to walk away sad like the rich young ruler? You know, we thought it was too much. Let me just remind us again, it takes discipline to be a disciple. Because spiritual growth is not automatic. It's something that's intentional. And so, this morning, as we're walking through these few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we've learned that to grow in spiritual discipline, we've got to pursue the goal, we've got to pay the price. There's a third key that I want to share, and that is to prioritize the kingdom. You probably didn't miss the headline from Monday Night Football uh, that has just really shocked the sports world when Damar Hamlin went into sudden cardiac arrest. This was during the Bengals-Bills game, Er early in the game. His heart stopped beating, like right there on the field. And, of course, the emergency personnel comes, and they're tending to him. They're, they're resuscitating him for nine minutes. And both teams and all of the tens of thousands of fans and all the sidelines and all the media are just watching and crying and praying. You know, we've seen these amazing displays of of prayer through this episode. You know, they're, they're visibly shaken by this incident that happened on the field and again this happened early in the game then and they uh, were able to cart him off to the hospital but neither team wanted to resume play they don't want to play football why is that why didn't they finish the game uh, 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 one player got taken out of the game there were other players that could have stepped in uh on the bills for the, for the Bills. Why didn't they want to play football? It was what they've trained to do, like their whole lives, all week long. They're prepping for the big Monday night game. Why didn't they want to finish it? Because all of a sudden, the priority wasn't football. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, it didn't matter. We don't care about playing this game. because there's someone we, we just laid witness to someone's life sort of hanging in the balance. We've shared a moment here together, crying on each other's shoulders and praying, calling out on God, please help. Isn't that interesting? They didn't care about football, even though that's what they were there to do. The reason I mention that is like, that's how it is for those of us who have met Jesus. All of a sudden, the things we've been gearing up for and the things we've been playing for, the things that have been ingrained in us, like here in the West, you know, the American dream. This is what you need. You need these things to be happy, to be content. You need these things to gain respect, and then you're set. All of these things, these priorities completely shift. And so we don't spend our time, treasure, or talent on things that are going to perish. We have a kingdom mentality and perspective. And so this is what we see in verse 26. That we should live our lives with this sort of purpose and direction. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I love the way one Christian leader put it. He says, too many of us show a first-rate dedication to second-rate causes. A first-rate dedication to second-rate causes. That is to say, we make a priority of things... That aren't kingdom related. And so, if we want to be spiritually disciplined, this is one of the keys. It is, I've met Jesus, and everything's different now. My attitude, my spending habits, my family life, my marriage like, all of it is different now. My priority is now God's kingdom. So, I'm not running or laboring in vain. I'm not punching aimlessly, right? That's that's the metaphor that, that Paul's using here. Like I'm not just gonna swing fists wildly in the air. I want my punches to land where they make the most impact, where they count, right? And so what what am I saying? I'm saying we choose spiritual disciplines that are gonna sharpen our faith. Right? We wanna become a vibrant community. We want to be positioned so that we can share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. I mentioned where we're going over these next couple weeks. We're going to talk about worship, studying scripture and prayer. There are lots of other spiritual disciplines. We're just simply not going to take the time in our uh, worship services to talk through those. There are some some great books that teach us about those. There aren't just those three. Uh, There are other disciplines as well, like tithing and fasting and resting, and accountability, and serving, like using our spiritual gifts, those are all spiritual disciplines. If we go to the time of Jesus, the pious Jews would have had three very specific disciplines that were expected of them. In fact, Jesus teaches about these in Matthew chapter 6. They were giving alms, which is money given to those who are poor or in need, prayer, and fasting. But the point is not to put a check mark on your religious to-do list. The, The point is not, well, I said my prayers. Well, I read my scripture. Well, I fasted lunch. The point is to surrender your life for the glory of God. That's the point. So as we talk about spiritual disciplines, it's not a checklist of religious activities. It's to say to God, Lord, I'm yours. I want you to be in control. I want you to be master. I'm yours completely and entirely. All I am. And so God, have your way in my life. So that's spiritual discipline. We choose to be led by the Holy Spirit rather than our flesh. This is a choice we've got to make each and every day, by the way. What's going to control me today? What's going to drive my choices and decisions today? Is it going to be my sinful nature and my flesh and my desires? Or is it going to be the Holy Spirit that resides within me? And so spiritual discipline comes out of a life that has been surrendered completely and entirely to Christ. Okay, one more uh, key to being a spiritually disciplined person, and that is uh, to practice self-control. Like we were just talking about with the Holy Spirit in charge of your life. Self-control. I would say this is a prerequisite for fruitful Christian living this is that that idea and concept of saying okay Christ is the authority in my life Christ is the authority so he says turn the other cheek what are we going to do are we going to rationalize why I shouldn't are we going to are we going to say but don't you understand this situation And don't you understand how I want to respond when I'm struck in the face? Or are we going to say, Christ is the authority in my life, and here's what he says for me to do. And by the Holy Spirit that lives within me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. He says, confess your sins one to another. Well, I would be embarrassed if I were to share that. Well, I don't really want to share my... He says, confess your sins one to another. And so am I, by the spirit of God within me, going to courageously say, I messed up. I was wrong. I need forgiveness. He says, you don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so are you just going to keep living every day on your own, by your own ideas, or are you going to feast on the word of God? And let me just encourage you today. Give Christ authority in your life. Don't allow anything else to control you or drive you. Give Christ authority. Because when it comes to self-control, some of us say, I don't know if I'm very good at self-control. No, but when your life is submitted to the lordship of Jesus, he is the one who's in charge. And then your life Again, this is a prerequisite for fruitful Christian living is I'm under the authority of Christ. And so, yes, I practice self-control. So here's what Paul says, verse 27. This is the final verse we're looking at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Again, the idea here is my body is not going to tell me what to do my flesh is not going to dictate my life choices. Christ is the authority. Because I want to walk in Christian love and ministry to others, but at the end of the day, I know that I want to be I need to be saved as well. And I don't want to be disqualified from the inheritance that Christ has for me. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever noticed that when you take control, exercise self-discipline, self-control, in one area of your life, that it affects all, like virtually all of the other areas as well. Have you experienced this as well? Like, when you decide, let's say you decide, I'm going to get more fit physically, and so you're gonna start jogging or working out, you know, doing doing whatever regimen you need to do in order to get more fit physically. Have you ever noticed that? Then you're like, well, I'm gonna exercise. I need to go to bed earlier, and so you get more sleep, and you also notice, like, man, the quality of sleep is really like I'm sleeping really well. I'm I'm better rested during this time. I'm I'm getting you know I want to lose a few pounds, but all of a sudden like uh, I feel like I've got more energy, and I'm sleeping better at night, and. All of a sudden you're you're like, I don't I'm not struggling with my thought life as much in terms of like feeling dark and gloomy and grumpy and depressed. Like I'm joyful and I'm happy and I'm I'm more positive, and all of a sudden, like I am way easier to get along with. And so my friendships and relationships are improving, and people actually enjoy being around me. And I'm feeling really strong spiritually as well. Like I've been praying a lot more and I feel close to God. Isn't that interesting? how when you decide you're going to take control of one area of your life, and again, this is under the control of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, virtually every area of your life starts getting stronger. So you make a decision that you're going to get fit emotionally, and all of a sudden, relationally, you're more fit. And spiritually, you're better off, and physically, you're stronger. And you're thinking more clearly, and you're sleeping more soundly. It's amazing, isn't it? It's kind of, in fact, I would say it's kind of, it's kind of weird. <laughs> What's happening is this biblical truth. 1 Corinthians 9.27 By God's grace, you have made your body your slave. And instead of being led by your appetites or your desires or your whims, you are getting stronger in every regard. And so, again, some of us are leery about New Year's resolutions where we're like, I'm going to accomplish this this year. I'm going to do these things spiritually or get fit physically. We know how easy it is to break those resolutions. (laughs) We've done that before. It's like, I've done that too many times. I'm not going to do that again. I'm encouraging us to come before the Lord to say, God, here am I. What do you have for me in this new year? What do you have for me in this season? Listen for God's voice and then pursue it. Go after the prize. Take those, those, those specific intentional steps like an athlete who goes into training for their specific event. If we don't develop some spiritual disciplines We're not going to change. We're not going to succeed. No one just coasts into Christ-likeness. And I would say the Bible does affirm the idea of setting goals or even making a resolution, right? So last week we talked about the story of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Remember, he was the guy who he got placed into a secular culture and society, but he remained faithful to God. Well, we're told there it's because he made a resolution. All right, I'm going to Babylon. I know the way they think. I know the gods they worship. I know the foods that they eat. And God has said that that's not for me. And so I'm going to set my heart and mind right now. God help me. I'm not going to do it. So I'm prayerfully and with great hope suggesting maybe this year is the year. (laughs) The year that God uses to grow you like never before. Maybe this year you enter into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. You know, our prayer team is going to come and make themselves available after the service right up here in the front. It would be our honor to pray with you. If you've never met Jesus and surrendered your life to him, come this morning. We would love to introduce you and you begin a relationship with Jesus that starts now and it lasts forever. Maybe this is the year that you enter into a relationship with your creator through his son, Jesus. Maybe this is the year that you have victory in that area of weakness. That place that has just dragged you down time and time and time again. It feels like a weight, a shackle, a chain, a chain. Maybe this is the year that those bonds, those chains are broken and you're set free. Again, if that's on your heart this morning, come. We would love to minister to you and pray with you this morning. Maybe this year is the year that God strengthens you for the trials that are just around the corner. You don't see them yet. But God wants to strengthen you and prepare you so that you face those with great resolve and faith. It's time to be all in in the kingdom of God. It's time to be all in in your relationship with Jesus. Don't walk away like that rich young ruler. Sad because of the great expectation and cost. But say, all right, Jesus, I'm all in. It's all yours. Knowing that he's worth it. And the reward, it's not just something here on earth. It's not just something fleeting. It's something lasting and enduring and eternal. So the Bible tells us if we're trusting in Christ... It's like we've been born again. It's like we're made new. We're, we are transformed. And here's what 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 say. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I'm praying that in this new year, you embrace that. And you pray that, God, I'm not my own. I'm yours. I've been bought with a price, the shed blood of Jesus. That you press on, that your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord as you pursue the goal and prioritize the kingdom, paying whatever price and practicing self-control. All for the glory of God, our Heavenly Father, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And it's according to his power that is at work within us. Let's pray together. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you that although we have sinned, gone astray, done wrong, fallen short, broken your word and your law, that you have been patient with us. We thank you that you are the God of endless second chances, That you are the God who is able to do even the impossible. That you can take us and make us brand new. That you can transform us like we've had a fresh start, born again. That it happens only because you sent your son Jesus. Who was the perfect, completely innocent, spotless lamb of God. Who came to take away the sins of the world. That through him, you impart righteousness to us. That we are now covered by his shed blood. That you count us as righteous because of what Jesus did for those who put their faith in you. And so, Lord, today we put our faith in you. Not in our own good deeds. Not in our ability to set the alarm clock and get up early and be a disciplined person. But as we come before you and say, here am I, Lord. I surrender all I have and all I am for you and for your glory and for your purposes. Knowing that you instill hope within us. That you help us through life circumstances here on earth. But with the eye toward eternity spent with you in your presence in paradise. Oh Lord, how we long for your sure return. And how we long to see others entering into that relationship with you as well. So, Lord, use us, flawed as we are, as vessels to carry your love to a broken world. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.